Edge. A three. Good! You can't be serious with that shot. Thomas, shake, crossover, step back. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to Just College Hoops. I'm Brian McLaughlin, joined by Tim Leonard. Tim, what's happening? It's been a couple of a couple of days since we last talked. So much has been going on in the college basketball landscape. Great to be back with you. How are you today? I'm doing great, man. It is champ week. It is the best time of the year for college hoops. Thanks to everyone who listened to the first episode. We had some great feedback on that and happy to be back for episode two. They haven't kicked us off yet. We have made it to episode two. And we've got a lot of college hoops to talk about today. Tons of stuff happened over the weekend. Tons of stuff is going to happen this weekend. It's a lot to wrap your head around right now in the college basketball world. Big time conference tournaments are just getting started. You said it, Tim. Big thank you to everybody who listened to our first episode. And I'm just happy. It's a win for us that we're back talking on episode two Um, and getting ready. It's hard to believe Selection Sunday is less than a week away. Um, so much to break down as far as conference tournaments go, Tim, but first off, I mean, what's sticking out to you from the last couple of days in college basketball, things that you're looking forward to just curious about kind of big storylines that you're following at the moment, because there, there are a lot of ways we could go with this show. I mean, there with, with so many different conference tournaments happening, just curious, what's really catching your eye at the moment when, when you, as a fan, as an analyst, what, what are you paying attention to right now? Well, I love listening to some of the experts on college basketball right now and and just everyone around the sport talking about how each conference tournament seems like it is a wide open race at the moment. And I think it's just been funny how the Big 12, you talk about that. It's like, oh, that that one's wide open. Anyone can win that. Then you get to the Big 10. That that feels wide open. A lot of bubble teams there. Heck, I could see Wisconsin as a 12 seed making a run. Look at the path they have. Indiana might have the best path as a four seed. So There's just, it's fascinating how as a college basketball landscape, I think we've gotten to the point where there's so much parody in the sport that I think we maybe need to stop, you know, saying everything's wide open because that's just the nature of the sport going forward, right? It's going to be a lot of chaos in all these tournaments. The ACC qualifies as one of those as well. I think pretty much every power conference tournament you could talk yourself into, you know, this is the tournament where that nine seed is going to win. This is going to be that that Georgetown from a couple years ago that's going to go from nowhere and make it to the NCAA tournament. So it is going to be like that probably going forward for the next three, four or five years. And especially with the transfer portal stuff and making things a little tougher to follow, I think everyone's going to be kind of in that boat going forward. But it makes it fun for us as fans to watch because a lot of close games are going to happen in these tournaments for sure. Really from the very first day. I mean, that's the beauty of these conference tournaments. And I'm excited to break them down with you because to me, I'm looking at all these different conferences and they're all wide open though for different reasons. Like the big 12 has four really powerful teams that you could see maybe winning a national title. Um, The big 10, like you mentioned, Wisconsin, I really like Nebraska sitting down low as a team that could potentially make a push. Then you have the big East where it feels like something weird goes on in the garden every year. It's fun that each conference tournament is so different. Um, and that to me is is what makes this time of year 
so much fun and makes conference tournament week a blast. There is a distinct feel to each conference tournament to me. Each one has its own atmosphere. You've gotten used to to Madison Square Garden and the and the Big East now. You've gotten used to the ACC tournament and the atmosphere that occurs there. Um, it's really a fun time of it's a, it's a fun week, frankly, just a, a great week of basketball where you can take in mid-major games all the way to the top schools in the nation, battling it out against teams that are trying to keep their season alive, because that's what it comes down to. Some team seasons are coming to an end right now. Others playing to keep their season going. Um, where do you want to start? I think we could start with, I know we're going to talk overrated teams, underrated teams on this week's show. Do you want to start there? Start on a couple conference breakdowns. Where, where do you want to go from here? Let's do the three things we're looking forward to going into conference sure. tournament week. I figure that if you're listening to this podcast, you're trying to consume it while watching some of the games as well. So maybe we dive into that and the overrated underrated teams, I guess we could get outdated pretty quickly if we pick a overrated team and then they happen to go on a run in the tournament or whatnot but those kind of have a little bit more of a shelf life so maybe we we rip the things we're looking forward to right off the top I love that um I can I can start then with one of my favorite things that I'm looking forward to um and it, it is this first couple of rounds of the Big Ten tournament I think that these 10 the 11 verse 14 um, in the Big Ten, you have um, Nebraska taking on Minnesota. Minnesota, probably the weakest team by a relatively wide margin in the Big Ten. But the first two rounds of the Big Ten tournament, just going to be absolute madness. Because then once you get beyond that kind of the opening round that's going to be taking place uh, today as we record on Wednesday, you get to that second round, Tim, and there are bubble teams galore in the Big Ten. My Penn State Nittany Lions taking on Illinois. Illinois, a team that are probably in the tournament field, but jockeying for postseason positioning. Maryland, a team that are on that 7-8 and eight line. Iowa's a team that's right in that area that are really battling for positioning in the big dance. Then Michigan and Rutgers. All of a sudden, Rutgers has fallen onto the bubble. And then you're going to have teams like Ohio State, Wisconsin, Nebraska, playing to keep their seasons alive. These first couple of days of the Big Ten tournament are always just two of my favorite days of the year to watch Big Ten basketball in particular. Um, and I know the championship and the semifinal rounds are always high-level basketball. These might not be the prettiest basketball games, but it's going to be really fun to watch these first couple of days of the Big Ten tournament. Um, anywhere you look, it's going to be teams fighting to keep their seasons alive and teams that are really high quality in any given day can beat a Purdue, can beat a Indiana. And that's what makes the Big Ten really fun this year. Yeah, shout out to your Nittany Lions. I was waiting for you to say it. As a, as a Penn State grad, they had a big weekend, a couple big buzzer beaters of sorts, late second shots there. And I just love watching Jalen Pickett play, man. So yeah. I'm hoping that they make the tournament just as an unbiased fan. And he gets all the credit that he deserves in terms of all American accolades as those start to flow in here but you said it I think Purdue is four and four in their last eight games mm -hmm. so one thing that I've noticed as a theme across a lot of these conference tournaments as we head into champ week here is the number one the number two the number three seeds in some instances are kind of trailing off a little bit I think of like Tennessee and the SEC and Purdue as another example here in the Big Ten and then you've got some teams at the bottom of the pack of the conference that are playing some really good basketball. And when you pull up the brackets, you say, man, how is, you know, Villanova a six seed? Or how is 
Kentucky, I forget what seed they are, but they're probably playing just as good as some other teams in the SEC. Texas A&M, yeah, I think. Three is, seed. Yeah, so it's I, I guess Kentucky may be not as good of an example, but the point is there are some instances where the quote-unquote top seeds are not playing or maybe playing about the same level as some of the five, six seeds. I, I, maybe UConn's another example of a team. I looked at the Big East mm. bracket. I was like, UConn's the four seed, but – they might be the best team in the Big East right now. And Duke, same thing in the ACC. Duke is favored to win the league. They're, I believe, the four seed in the ACC going into this week. So it's going to be fascinating because I think we're going to see a lot of quote-unquote upsets based on seeding. And I guess that's happened in, in past years as well. But I feel like especially this year, we're seeing a lot of teams that really struggled in the non-con because of transfers and getting chemistry. And now they're clicking. And then we're seeing kind of the opposite, where it felt like Purdue, even though they're sort of a younger team, has been figured out a little bit. And maybe it's just the end of the regular season rut where there's not as much to play for. Purdue obviously is still playing for that one line, and seeding matters a ton for them, and they were fighting for the Big Ten title. But it feels like in some instances we got some weird results towards the end of the regular season, knowing that, okay, we've kind of done our job and can, can the conference tournaments just start already? I feel like was kind of the mindset of the players a little bit on some of these teams. I'm right with you in the fact that I think it's interesting that like in the big East, everybody wants to win the big East this year, even though you've got a handful of teams that are already in the field, you don't really know who the best team in the big East is. I think Marquette has made a pretty strong claim for that, but UConn was the best team in the country for a couple of weeks earlier this year. Creighton was one of the top five teams in the nation preseason. And then Xavier's had a really strong year. So you have yeah. a handful of it's teams. It's wide open, Brian. Every conference it's, is wide open. <laughs> and I think in some of these conferences, though, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on just how teams approach this. Because if you're in the Big 12 and you're one of those top handful of teams, of course you want to win your conference tournament. That is something that I'm sure these teams have as a preseason goal. But at the same time, your goal, if you're a Baylor, a Kansas, a Kansas State, a Texas, your goal is to win a national title. And so you're treating these games as a tune-up for March as much as anything. Whereas in the Big Ten, Purdue all of a sudden just needs to find their footing and find a win, which is completely different than some of the top teams in other conferences. Tennessee, like you mentioned, similar to Purdue. They're all of a sudden going to be fighting off a charge from, like you said, Kentucky. Um some other good teams in that SEC field. And so, like like you mentioned, there it's different conference to conference, and we can talk all we want about how wide open it is with each conference. I think it does go team to team as far as what we can expect coming into this thing um, and what the goals should be for each team going into the conference tournament. If you're Purdue, I think you just want to win game one. Just, just I know you're the one seed, but your goal just has to be to restabilize, win game one, and go from there. Whereas if you're in these other conferences, it might not be that same goal. Marquette, I'm sure, wants to win the Big East title. And so just watching how these different big number one seeds perform um, in the conference tournament is going to be fascinating. Even last night, and in, in not necessarily a power conference, but in the WCC, Gonzaga just waxed St. Mary's. Yeah. We were as high as anybody on St. Mary's last right. week, Tim. And now all of a sudden... It's the Zags that are being starting to like, – they're a three seed. Are they a final four sleeper? And St. Mary's, I had a buddy text me last night, Brian, I think St. Mary's is losing in the first round. And so 
there's going to be overreactions this week too, right? Yeah. And how much stake do you put in them? I love watching the overreactions from the national analysts because I know I'm overreacting as well. If Penn State wins two games in the Big Ten tournament, I will be leading a Sweet 16 charge. That's just how it's going to go. And so the overreactions are coming. I'm excited for that. I'm also a little nervous for that now that I'm putting out my own thoughts to an audience that can come back <laughs> on me and give me crap for when I'm terribly wrong, like I was about Arizona and UCLA. But at the same time, the, the overreactions make the sport fun. Yeah, and by the way, that's one of my things I'm looking forward to is UCLA a little bit and their battle against Purdue for that last number one line right now. I think no matter where you look, Alabama, Houston, Kansas are one seeds across any bracketology right now. But that fourth one seed is certainly up for grabs as we go into conference tournament week. Mm -hmm. And also for that matter, the battle for how you get seeded in that collection of the top three there. So who's going to get the number one overall seed is a storyline, which feels like it's been a little bit. I mean, I think Gonzaga has always been right at the top there. Baylor in that one year, there was, you know, very clearly Gonzaga won Baylor as the next number one seed. So it's going to be fascinating to see how the one seed line shakes out. That's one thing I'm looking forward to. And on the note of that UCLA Arizona game, a couple interesting things. I mean, one, I, I don't think your take it was exposed or anything because UCLA is playing at home. I'm, I'm not just yeah. defending you because I'm your co-host. I, I really think that that was a pretty favorable matchup for UCLA. Just in and general. in the first first ten minutes of that game, Arizona, yeah. I was I was dancing. I was yeah, ready you to party. Good. I did, right. and then it so, all fell apart. And, I, you know, UCLA is playing some really good basketball right now. As it stands going into these conference tournaments, I think they have a better case than Purdue. I was looking at all their metrics, Ken Palm, Net, Sagarin, BPI, KPI, all these fancy terminologies and, and numbers. And it seems like, you know, UCLA is, is pretty clearly ahead of Purdue right now. And they're playing better basketball of late. You get into all Pac-12 versus Big Ten and all that game. But again, it's it's sort of tough to play that game at times. But the one thing with UCLA, though, is Jalen Clark got injured, and we don't know the severity of his injury. It looks like it was an Achilles lower leg type of injury. So that could be a factor going forward for them. We'll see if he plays in the conference tournament. We'll see if he is ready to go for the NCAA tournament. But that's one thing I'm definitely watching, and I feel like more so than other years, that battle for the one-seed line is going to be interesting this year. I'm with you, and I think that for me, the difference between UCLA and Purdue is that UCLA is playing better right now. Um, I, I agree that resume-wise, resume you can go probably either way. You can put whatever bullet points you want on either resume to make it look like Purdue could be better or UCLA. For me, the difference is UCLA is playing better basketball. Barring, of course, Purdue, if they go out and win the Big Ten tournament, that changes, right? That's the way they get get on that one line. But it's going to be tough to do for them. And the freshman wall is a real thing. The freshman guards, not that they're playing all that awful. They just aren't playing at that same level they were as the two kind of one and two pieces right behind Zach Eady that buoyed them through the month of January when they were really clearly the best team in the country for, for a stretch of the season. And so that, for me, is the worrisome part for Purdue. Do the freshmen bounce back? Do Braden Smith and Foster Lawyer find their shooting touch in the Big Ten tournament? We've seen crazier things happen. You never know in that tournament which team is going to get hot. I'm not ruling out Purdue at all. But as it stands right now, I would I would have UCLA on the one line. And then the other battle to watch is, is of course, the bubble. How can we not yeah. talk about the bubble picture overall? 
Penn State, very much in that mix. It's a big game against Illinois tomorrow. You're right about my Nittany Lions. Two massive wins. Um, two Cam Winter buzzer beaters. Even though Jalen Pickett did not have his best couple of games over the weekend. Still, two big wins for, for Penn State. They are firmly in the thick of things. Rutgers is right there in that battle for the 11 seed. You've got teams like Mississippi State and the SEC that are in the mix. All of a sudden, can you believe that Pittsburgh is being talked about as, as a bubble team? We, we talked about this last now. week. Yeah, Pitt, Pitt to me is like an eight or a nine seed, and they're all of a sudden on the 11 line. And NC State is in the same conversation. Apparently, people are saying if NC State loses, they play today. As of us recording this, they play Virginia Tech. So if they lose, apparently they have to be doing some sweating on Selection Sunday. I, I, I can't make sense of it because – I know records aren't the only thing that we're factoring in now, and I get that there are levels of conferences, and we talked about it last week, but it feels wrong to put NC State behind some of these Big 12 schools or even Big 10 schools that have records that are so much worse. And I agree. You can point back to the non-conference, but that was so so long ago. I think NC State is playing at a level that they definitely deserve to be in the tournament, and Pittsburgh, for that matter, as well. Yeah. To me, a team that people maybe – Maybe this is a bit too bold, but I would have Providence be on that bubble before I would have Pitt or NC State. They're that team that, to me, is probably in the field safely right now, barring a major collapse and lots of other bid steals happening. But to me, Providence is that team that I would probably put on the bubble before Pitt or NC State. But then it comes back to me to you have a couple of teams in like Nevada in the Mountain West, Utah State in the Mountain West that – I like when those teams get in the field. I frankly haven't watched a lot of Nevada. I've watched a little bit of Utah State this year. They appear to be a tournament team to me. But then you have teams that can be bubble teams that can go on runs. The chances of, I know they're playing awful. I know they just lost to Duke. But North Carolina, you go on an ACC tournament run, and you're that brand. You're right back in the field. We've seen it before. The committee likes when some of these ACC teams get hot in the ACC tournament. North Carolina is that brand that can go on that run in that tournament. They're probably on the outside of the field right now. And then Michigan in the Big Ten tournament, to me, is that team that I'm kind of, as a Penn State fan, a little worried about. If Michigan's that team that goes on a run, they would steal some of those headlines from Penn State. And then then I'm a little worried about the Wolverines stealing that last spot from, from Penn State at the moment. So many different variables can happen around the bubble. Who wins by how much against who? It changes hour by hour, so we're doing our best to kind of summarize where it's sitting right now. Um, but it's it's a fun, fun moment for the bubble, I think, this year that it has been so fluid. And there have been so many teams that have gone in and out of the picture, teams that have played their way off the bubble in a good way and a bad way. It's been a really fun last couple of weeks as one of as a person whose team is on the bubble. I've been riding that roller coaster, man. Penn State's been in. They've been out. They've been very out of the tournament. Now, all of a sudden, they might be back in. It's going to be a stressful <laughs> going to be a stressful next couple of days for me. Well, I can tell you that it gets a little tiring as a Syracuse alum. Once you see it every single year and, and Joe Lenardi, and you, you can only refresh Joe Lenardi's page so much, which, by the way, did you see Mick Cronin said he has never heard of Joe Lenardi before in his life? It, did you see this quote? 
Yeah, it makes me really question Mick Cronin. Like, in yeah. my entire picture He has of to him. be lying. I mean, he's just trying not to give him too much credit, I think. But what's is... the point of lying there? Like, yeah. everybody knows. Like, who does he think he's fooling? Like, that right. just blew my mind that he would even say that. Uh, he had to have, like, misheard the question. I, like, that immediately went through my brain. Like, did he mishear who he thought Joe Lenardi was? Did he just I, – I don't know. That was weird. Yeah. But you kind of ran into some of my other things that I'm looking forward to here when you're talking there about the Blue Bloods and some of these brand schools that are, can they make a run or not? I would throw Villanova in that category as well. Yes. Villanova is certainly in need of a pretty deep run to make any sort of NCAA tournament conversation, but they are playing some really good basketball lately since they've gotten healthier again. They still have Justin Moore, who longtime college basketball fans will remember as a guy that's been there for a while. They play Georgetown in the first round, so I mean, that's pretty much a bye. <laughs> I hate to say, now I'm, Georgetown's going to win because we're recording this before that game happens. But it seems like that should put them in consideration easily to move to the next round, and then and then you play Creighton, and that'll be a fascinating game for them. And then UNC, you hit on them. They got BC today. We'll see. I mean, I'm so torn on what to expect from this team because – it feels like they're just running out of chances to prove that, you know, they are an NCAA tournament team. That Duke mm -hmm. game was really frustrating. They didn't make a field goal in the final four minutes or so. And that's been the storyline throughout the year when teams are able to, you know, shut down Armando Baycott or double team him. It kind of puts a lot of pressure on Caleb Love and RJ Davis. And Davis was good in the Duke game, but Caleb Love has kind of been what Caleb Love has been since that NCAA tournament run, which is a very up and down frustrating player to watch from a, Carolina perspective but you know if they beat BC they'll play UVA and you can see a path for them as well and you hit on it earlier the committee is dying to put Carolina in one of those first four games in Dayton remember the year where it was UCLA Michigan State and UCLA this was a couple years ago actually happened to go from the first four to the final four they are I mean dying for a Carolina Michigan first four mm -hmm. game where Carolina Wisconsin Michigan State could be in it again I mean who knows how this all shakes out but if unc gets to the tournament final everyone's saying they got to win the acc tournament now i think unfortunately and it shouldn't be this way but based on their brand name they get a little bit more sway and and if the committee has any chance to make a case for them they will and i also think it lingers in the committee's mind that this same core of carolina players went to the national title game a year ago. Even yeah. though you lose Brady Manick, this is a team that made so many moments last year in March. And so I think that maybe it should have an impact. I, I kind of think maybe it kind of does. It's why I've kind of believed in this Carolina team all year, right? And it's why you don't want to give up on the Tar Heels is because you do remember those moments from Caleb Love in particular. RJ Davis had so many big plays last year. And Armando Baycott, is a Carolina legend in many ways. And so you do kind of, even as a relatively neutral observer with Carolina, it's pretty easy to just be drawn back in if they win a couple of games. Now, it's also right now very easy to be all the way out on the Tar Heels. But who knows? That's that's the beauty of conference tournament season is that it can change so quickly. The perspective of people and their idea of many of these teams can change on a dime because – Frankly, Tim, there are just more eyeballs on the sport right now. More people are watching these games than people watched in November and December and even January and February. More people are watching college basketball. And 
Whether that should have an impact on the committee or not, it does. And the committee is keeping a closer eye on these games. And I think even just without realizing it is probably going to weigh these games a bit heavier than even they realize. And that's just the nature of the sport. That's the nature of this is not a computer that is putting everything into a big system. We're not ranking teams based off of the net or Ken Palm, even if those do have impacts. It is truly people making these decisions at the end of the day, which makes the whole selection process fascinating. And um, it makes for really fun talking points for you and me. It makes for really stressful times, I know, for coaches and for players, um, which is you, you, we're talking mostly power conferences right now. It's kind of relaxing working with a Vermont team that it's simply mm-hmm. winning in. Yeah. And that, to me, is the last thing I'm looking forward to. Last night, Vermont got a win in the American semifinals, beating Binghamton. They play UMass Well, Saturday morning at 11 a.m., Tim. Morning tip-off on Saturday. Wow. Okay. Standalone game. Tune in on ESPN2 or, of course, listen with me. Um, but Shameless plug. <laughs> shameless plug. But the the small mid-major conference teams, I kind of enjoy the purity of just just win, baby. Just win, take care of your business, and you don't have to worry all that much about the selection process. But at the same time, Vermont's head coach John Becker calls it the most stressful week of his life every single year. It, it is stressful being a one-bid league and watching other one-bid leagues, not just the Americas. I'm watching the Big Sky last night, late-night basketball. Montana State gets taken to overtime. The ninth seed in Northern Arizona University comes up with the massive win. Those games make March to me as much as the power conferences, and they're going to be. We're going to talk about it later in the show about some of the teams that have already clinched their bids. But to me, it's it's those games with teams that if they don't win, their season comes to a close. Those are the games that I love watching and can't wait to watch over the next week um, as tickets are punched. And honestly, dreams are fulfilled for many of the players at the mid-major level. This is why they play basketball. Their careers are going to come to a close more often than not when their senior year comes to an end. Going to be really a, a real joy to watch a lot of these mid-major games over the next week. Yeah, no doubt. And we'll, like you said, we'll dive into the mid-majors more as we yeah. get along here. You want to get into some overrated teams? Because I think I I'm a little that. jacked up to dish on some teams, specifically in the Big 12. I'm, I'm quickly becoming the Big 12 hater over here. <laughs> it, it was hard for me to put any Big 12 teams on this list, but I had I to know. try. I, 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 go ahead and start us off then, Tim. Maybe I, it's, it's just me leaning into the bit at this point. But let's start with one team that I think is in. overrated right now. Out of the Big 12. It's the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I'll give you their full resume. They are 17 and 14, 8 and 10 going into the Big 12 tournament in conference play this year. Their net ranking is 42. Their Ken Palm ranking is 40. And despite a 17 and 14 record, they're the first team out on ESPN right now. I'm just telling you, I looked through this resume and basically a lot of it is relying on the fact that we know the big 12 is a great conference, like an ultra great conference. I think it is a terrific league, but my cause for concern is putting these big 12 teams into the tournament. You're just, there's a lot of pressure on the big 12 to prove it in the tournament that they were that league. Because when you look at a team like Oklahoma state and what they did in the non-conference schedule, which again, I don't think should be weighted as much as what you've done lately, but you know, their best win in non-con was Sam Houston State at home. That's a team that's 69th on Ken Palm. 
They lost to Southern Illinois at home in the non-conference schedule. They lost to Virginia Tech from the terrible ACC. They got smoked on a neutral site. It, it's one game, but still, they lost to UCF. And really, their best wins all come from the conference. And they don't necessarily have any wins from the top of the league. It's the likes of beating Iowa State two times in games like that. And look, I think Iowa State's had a nice season, but is that good enough to get you inside the NCAA tournament picture? They're also a team that is not playing their best basketball lately. Since February 14th, Oklahoma State is the 114th best team in college basketball per Bart Torvik, and they're one in five over that stretch. But as I joked with you over the weekend, Brian, you just got to congratulate them because they snapped that five-game losing streak. They won on the road a huge quad one win against a 16-15 and 15 Texas Tech team. So apparently that's good enough. Just, just send them in the tournament now after you, you get that quad one win. Again, I just think overall the Big 12 has laid claim and they've kind of cheated the system by being the best league. And it's all relying on us just knowing that they're the best league when I think it's a hard question to know for sure just how better the Big 12 is than some of the other leagues that are at the top of college basketball right now. Bill Walton said it really succinctly during the UCLA-Arizona Bill Walton game. succinctly in the same sentence? It was sentence? nuts. I couldn't <laughs> believe it, Tim. I texted you right as soon as I heard this. Um, and he was making the case for about eight teams to make the tournament from the Pac-12, which is just sure. not going to happen. Conference but he said, right? <laughs> exactly. And so there was a lot of other, maybe it wasn't succinct, but I picked out one very succinct point that he made. And he said, why do some conferences get credit for in-conference losses and other conferences get penalized for in-conference losses? And it was just that that made it so clear to me that, I, I love the Big 12. I have been a Big 12 guy all year, and I still am a Big 12 because I think they've got five teams that could maybe at least go to the Final Four. But I've totally come around to the fact that the back end of the Big 12 is not as strong as I thought it was. That's Oklahoma State, like you mentioned. West Virginia is a team that I can't buy in. I'm not they're, out. They're on, on my overrated either. list too. Just spoiler okay. <laughs> and then I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with another team that you mentioned. I think Iowa State's an overrated team. They are coming off, and and I would have had a lot more ammo before their win on the road at Baylor over the weekend. That one I was I was out on Iowa State before that game. I'm still generally out there. They lost four in a row before that win over Baylor, and they're a team that just struggles to score the ball. They have moments where they just forget how to put it in the hoop. They're a great defensive team, fifth in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. But they just have these games where the ball just doesn't go in the hoop for them. And at a certain point, I can't trust a team that just has moments and minutes that forget how to score, even though their defense can keep them in games. To me, Iowa State is a team that doesn't have a lot of great non-conference wins either. Their best non-conference win is actually North Carolina, which is – Pretty damning, if you ask me. Yeah. If your best non-conference win is against the a team that's on the bubble, they had to go to overtime against Villanova. Again, not a great win. And then you're dipping down to the likes of St. John's, and then you're out of the top 100 in your non-conference. And so to me, they are one of those teams that have been rewarded by the Big 12's general dominance of the sport. And they've played well in conference. They've got big wins in the conference, no doubt. Going on the road and beating Baylor. But other than that, it's been mostly wins at home. They went to Oklahoma, who's not a great team, and won. They beat TCU on the road by two, but that was over two months ago now. 
I just struggle with Iowa State. To me, they're a little overrated. I, I would be – that's the team that I trust the least right now on the Big 12. Yeah, and again, it's the same thing I'm talking about where if we are wrong about the Big 12 as a collective, if the committee is wrong and they aren't this incredible conference in Iowa State – let's just say Iowa State is overrated – then that means that really West Virginia, Oklahoma State are also kind of by nature overrated as well. Because I just Those went down. Those three have become tied at the hip. They're yes, that group. It, it's going to be a trickle down effect where we could just have too much at stake in this one conference being good. And it's tough to really know how much better that conference is than the others. And in West Virginia, I'm not going to go on too long about them because I actually think the more I looked into their resume, they should not be 23rd in the net and 17th in Ken Palm when you're 18 right. and 13 and, and 7 and 11 in conference. But I will give them this. They haven't really had a bad loss all year. Right. And they yep. looked much better in the non-con. You know, I talk about the ACC and stuff. They did crush Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh in the non-conference. So I'm not going to totally ignore all the facts here. But, you know, I, I think still it's a little premature to say, okay, they're a lock in the field. If they're a lock at 18 and 13, then why isn't NC State a lock? Why isn't Clemson, you know, more in the conversation? Why isn't Pittsburgh a lock? So that's all I have. I, I think it's just, we could be right. I mean, the, I, I usually like the Big 12. They've been great in the tournament recently. Overall, I'm not going in with a mindset of the Big 12 is going to be a team I'm picking against in the tournament. But if we are wrong about the Big 12, then we're wrong about all these schools that are seated in the Big 12 because the reason why these Big 12 teams are so good in the metrics is because they're being propped up by their conference. And the thing is, we're spending a lot of time on the Big 12 again, which is fine because yeah. I think it it does deserve to be talked about. We'll move on here in a moment. To me, the, the question of what, what is success for them in the tournament is interesting because I don't think they're going to be one of those conferences that gets – four or five teams in the sweet 16, like we've seen the big 10 and the, the ACC do in years past. But I do think they are the most likely conference to get two teams into the final four. Do I think that they might have some early, Oh, are the big 12 actually not that great when the likes of some of these teams lose? Could I see a, a Kansas state or a TCU get upset early? Yes. But if there's only, they, they might only have two teams in the sweet 16, but I do also think those two teams could make the final four, which again, is just going to be, really hard to to analyze exactly how good that conference is yeah and yeah I, we've gone on the big 12 too yeah. much i i think we can move on yeah we, we can move on my third team that's overrated is out of the sec and i i don't really like to say this but tennessee i think is currently overrated specifically because of the zakai ziegler injury he's now out mm -hmm. for the year he's one of their better defenders they just haven't been playing good basketball even before that injury to him they're four and six in their last ten their metrics across the board are outstanding. Ken Palm fifth, Bart Torvik fourth, net ranking there third. They are projected a three seed, so at least they're going to be seeded, I think, appropriately. But they just haven't had a ton of history of playing well in the tournament. They're not playing well as of late. And I don't like that you talked about with Iowa State. This is a team that just doesn't have a ton of offense. And sometimes you're watching them, and they don't really pass the eye test for that reason. So I would say I'd be cautious of putting Tennessee firmly into your Sweet 16 Elite Eight. I mean, you go back the last five years, they've been, for the last five years, they've been a top five seed in the tournament. They had two second round upsets as a three seed. They had a first round upset as a five seed. They did make the Sweet 16 in 2019, one of those last four tournaments as a top five seed. 
and they were a two seed that year. So I think they're going to be probably a three seed, maybe depending on how the tournament shakes out, fall back to a four. And, and I think that's probably right. But when you look at net rankings and Bart Torvik, there's going to be a case if you really rely on that stuff to put them pretty cleanly into the sweet 16. I'm not just, I'm not there with this Tennessee team right now. Tennessee's on my overrated list as well. I struggled to kind of figure out where I landed on them just because I do think now the national view of Tennessee is that they might not be that good. So I struggle to say yeah. they're overrated now because I think everybody's starting to kind of go out on them, but they did win the SEC or they, they were one of the best teams in the SEC all year along with Alabama. So I I've got them as overrated all the same reasons you have. My final team is Indiana. Mm, Indiana okay. are three and three in their last six games. They are a team that are pretty balanced. They have a great player in Trace Jackson Davis. But they don't make any threes. They don't shoot any threes. They go all inside the arc. They have a bad, bad, bad home loss recently to Iowa, which are one of my – and it's not because Iowa's a bad team. It's because Iowa scored 90 points on them in Indiana. Yeah. That, that cannot happen this late in the season. Good teams win at home, Tim. Good teams win their home games. And Indiana, that loss terrified me. And then they got taken to overtime. I know they beat Michigan. But again, a home game that you do find a way to win. Credit goes to them there. But they're a team that I just, I think they are getting buoyed by their two wins against Purdue. I think those two wins are two very good wins. But at the same time, I think that is carrying a lot of weight for a team that has one very good player and the rest of their roster. I like, but I don't love. I think they are getting a lot of love right now that it might not be totally deserved. All right, so let's get into the underrated teams now. And, of course, I got to start in the ACC. And it pains me to do this, Brian, but my number one underrated team right now I think is the Duke Blue Devils. I, again, as Ooh. someone who grew up and was more of a Carolina fan down in that neck of the woods, it's it's tough to say that. But Duke is playing some really good basketball right now. I know the question mark throughout the season has been their offense. I feel like they're starting to figure that out a little bit. And again, you go to that Bart Torovic stat, which is so good, where you can take from a time period, what is the ranking nationally? Since February 15th, since Duke started to go on this winning streak. And remember, they've won six in a row, but they've really, in a way, won seven in a row because that Virginia game, they should have won. That was a controversial play at the buzzer at Virginia Weird no call after reviewing it against Kyle Filipowski on that inbounds play. But since February 15th on Bart Torvik, they're the 10th best team in the nation. They're projected a seven seed right now. Again, their metrics aren't great. Ken Palm 31, net ranking 25. I, I really think they have national title potential, though, which is weird to say. Wow. For the team. But I, just the way they're playing right now, they've pretty much won 10 of their last 11 if you count that UVA game as a win. The narrative all year has been bad offense, but since they've gotten healthier, it has been a much better offense. And if, if you go through their winning streak, they're 34th best offense in Bart Torvik in terms of offensive efficiency in that time period that they've started winning here. They've also had a narrative around it that they cannot win on the road. Now, that's true, but also they just won at UNC in a very hostile environment. They pretty much won that UVA game on the road. Again, I'm putting a lot of stock in the fact that that pretty much was a win, and I think we should sort of signify it as a win. They went on the road recently and beat Syracuse, which is not saying much, I know, but they crushed him in that game. And that was kind of the first game that they were fully healthy with Jeremy Rochkin back and everything. And 
I just mm-hmm. think they've been playing some really good basketball since they've been healthy. They're one of the more talented teams in America. And now that they're kind of more mature and more healthier, I think they're starting to play like one of the better teams in the country. The job John Shire's done this year deserves a ton of respect. And um, in year one, you're replacing a legend. Your team probably has been generally a touch underrated all year because he's been the guy replacing Coach K. And um, the narrative around them has just been, they're not the same without him. And we even talked last week about the fact that because Coach K is not on the sideline, that they probably would be ranked if he was the guy leading the charge, not because they'd be a better team, but because the the general thought of Duke with Coach K is different than the thought with John Shire. I, I totally agree with you. I don't have Duke on my list. I think they are a group that could be poised to make a run. Um, we'll see. I, I don't have really anything to add on top of that. The, the first team on my list that I'll go to, um, I, I kind of tried to go one team near the top of the country, one more kind of in the middle that I thought was underrated, and then a team somewhere around the bubble. Um, I'm starting with Marquette, and it's it's because of my love for Marquette, um, not because I think that they are being misseeded as a three seed. They've been outstanding in the Big East. They're a team that's won six games in a row. I just think they are a team that could go to the final four. That's that's why I'm calling them underrated right now. They are getting a lot of well-deserved love. Recently, they've gone on the road and won at Creighton. They're a team that actually, for all the talk about how good they are defensively and Shaka Smart's tenure as a defensive first guy, they're a good defensive team, but this is a team that's been all about efficiency on the offensive end this year, which I'm an optimist and I love offense, and, and mm-hmm. that to me is where this team is making a lot of their work happen. Tyler Kolick has been nails for them down the stretch, even as just a sophomore um, amongst the nation's leaders in offensive efficiency. They share the ball really well. They play with really good tempo on the offensive end. They've just become one of my favorite teams to watch. And I feel like maybe they're not getting quite as much love as even I think they deserve that. that I'm just really high on Marquette right now. I would pick them to win the big East, which is a chalky pick, but I think they're the best team. I just think they're the best team in that conference right now. Yeah, as a longtime Shaka Smart defender, and, and believe me, it got a little dark in, in the past couple of years in that regard. I, I'm with you on Marquette. I think he deserves a lot of credit for, you know, being in the National Coach of the Year conversation. I know he is, but he deserves to be there because this is not a team that strikes you as having a ton of eye-popping talent. And they've all just yeah. sort of played a little bit better than you would expect. And it's been a, a sum greater than their parts type of situation there. So I'm definitely with you on Marquette. One of the other underrated teams I have, and it feels weird to call them underrated after the performance we watched last night against St. Mary's, but I'm going to say Gonzaga is still a little underrated because I think mm-hmm. the narrative out of that was, yeah, okay. They won the WCC again. It's Gonzaga. And, and this is still not an elite Gonzaga team. The team I watched last night, And again, it goes back to kind of the conversation with Duke. What's your question mark been throughout the year? For Gonzaga, it's been on the defensive side of the ball. They St. Mary's couldn't score last night. And I know the metrics, you know, Gonzaga's the best offense in college basketball right now on the metrics, wherever you look. Their defense is in the 90 to 105 range in terms of efficiency. It looked like they figured some things out on defense last night against the St. Mary's team that I like and I think deserves to be a little bit better than or better thought of than the national landscape thinks of them so if Gonzaga can play like they did last night 
I believe they have national title potential as well. And I think the narrative of this is not the recent Gonzaga teams, this is not a team that is as elite as the recent Gonzaga teams, like Drew Timmy to me, he might be underrated this year. He is underrated now. Now it's, you know, it's not fun to put him on your first team All-American team. It's almost like Shibway. It's just tough to back it up and get the accolades again. Baycott, same type of thing. But I I mean, I looked at Timmy, Timmy's numbers. He's shooting like 62%. I think it's 21 points per game. I don't know what more you want from a big. And they're figuring things out in terms of around him as well. The The supplementary pieces have gotten better and better as the season has progressed. That game last night pained me, man. I, I was hurting watching that one. Yeah, I wanted a close game. That that stunk. I, I, I expected more from St. Mary's last night. It's really sad to me that I still like St. Mary's. They do so much well. But over the last couple of games, a very clear weakness has been shown. They can't handle a press. When you press St. Mary's, they have not been able to get into their half-court offense. They've taken care of the ball okay. It's not like BYU or Gonzaga turned them over a whole lot. They just were taking so long to get up the floor. By the time they got the ball forward into the half-court, they were trying to get into their offense, and all of a sudden there were 12 seconds on the shot clock. And they just could not get into any of their normal sets that they execute very well. It's just Hard for me to watch a team that does so much well that I really like. They still defend at a high level, just ran into a buzzsaw of a Gonzaga offense. But it it was hard for me to watch that St. Mary's team struggle against something that generally they shouldn't struggle that much against. Yeah, they beat Gonzaga earlier this year, you know? so Gonzaga, they're not a good pressing team. That's not normally something they do. They have just recognized this weakness. Any coach who watches the last couple games on film, I think, will say, we're just going to press St. Mary's. Doesn't have to be a really intense press. Just throw a 2-2-1 zone up there. They're going to struggle to get the ball up the court quickly. They don't break the press looking to score, which is you're taught from middle school basketball forward. When a team presses, look to score it first. Pass the ball up the floor. Don't try to beat it off the dribble. Look to score. They weren't looking to do that. So to me, I would not call Gonzaga underrated quite yet. Totally see where you're coming from. Yeah, it's a good point. To me, this was last night was more about St. Mary's having a massive weakness being shown than Gonzaga really proving anything to me. To me, I still think the Zags have what it takes to be a second weekend team. Probably not a lot more than that. But of course, the year we all say that, right? That's the year they're going to win the national title. So I'm trying not to be trying to walk that line of not being all the way out in Gonzaga, right? Well, just just nibbling with them a little bit. Just give me a little piece of them, just in case. Yeah, and I will say that's a good point because their defense really hasn't made strides over their recent winning streak. They've been much yeah. better as a team, but it's just been them shooting the lights out. So that doesn't feel awfully sustainable. I don't know. Maybe I'm – I shouldn't even classify them as underrated. It's just when you watch that performance last night, it was hard to not – just totally overreact and say, man, yes. if they're going to play like this, then they could really be a force in March. Agreed. Let me go to my next underrated team. And Tim, I'm, I'm going to the Big Ten, going back to my favorite conference, and I'm going not to January, not to February, but to Izzo. <laughs> and the Michigan State Spartans, I think, are a team that can go on a deep run, not just in the Big Ten tournament, but in the national tournament. They shoot the three at a really high clip, third in the country, over 40% from three. Now, 
the, the overtime loss where they blew the massive lead to Iowa is worrisome. And I think Iowa are a team that I also really like in the Big Ten tournament. They're not on my underrated list, but I thought about them and Michigan State back and forth. I decided to go to Sparty because it's hard for me to really count out Tom Izzo. And I like the balance of this Michigan State team. They're not a team that has been solely reliant on offense or defense this year. They're a group that have some good depth. They play uh, some good players off their bench. Tyson Walker is an experienced guard. A.J. Hogard, an experienced guard who passes the ball at one of the best rates in the country. And they've got good shooters. Tyson Walker, 43% from deep. Joey Hauser, 45% from beyond the arc. Size is a bit of a question mark for them. They don't have that normal Big Ten beefy guy down low that is going to bother Zach Eady which could be a potential matchup for them in the Big Ten tournament if they do face Purdue in that semifinal round. But I am buying Michigan State right now. They have generally, to me, been trending in the right direction ever since they lost back-to-back games against Purdue and Rutgers, wins against Maryland, go on the road to beat Purdue, tough loss against Michigan, but that's on the road, and then wins against Indiana, Nebraska, and Ohio State. None of those are great wins, but they've taken care of business down the stretch. And I just want a piece of Michigan State come March. To me, they're a team that have balance, they have shooting, they have veteran guard play, and they have a great coach. To me, that's that's a recipe for success, and I think that um, they're a sleeper right now. Do I think they're probably underrated? Maybe not by that definition, because they're probably about right in the, the overall bracket portion of where they should be in the field. They're probably right around that. To me, that, I don't know, middle-of-the-pack line where – you're a seven, maybe get up to as high as five if you're playing really well. They're in that range of like, I think they're about right there. But to me, I just am pinpointing them as a team that could go on a run, both in the Big Ten tournament this weekend and in and in the big dance. Yeah, never a bad bet to be banking on Tom Izzo in March, for sure. I, I think usually you're, you're making money if you're doing that. My last underrated team, back to the SEC, I'm going to say Texas A&M. They've been playing mm, as good as pretty it. much anyone in the country lately. They're 23 and 8, 15 and 3 in the league. Texas A&M was a team that was not picked to be much in the non in the uh preseason and all that and in the conference rankings going into the season. They're picked to finish maybe 8th and 9th in the league depending on where you looked. They had a really unforgettable non-conference stretch where they really struggled in the non-conference. Lost some bad games including a loss to Wofford on December 20th. But since then they have been the sixth best team in the entire nation, according to Bart Torvik, since that loss on December 20th. So that's a two-plus-month stretch now where they have been a top-10 team in all of college basketball. I look at them as definitely a, a dark horse winner of the SEC, a team that I would be thinking about betting on. They're coming off a big win pretty soundly at home against an Alabama team that has just won the SEC regular season. And... I think they have the most underrated player in college basketball right now on their team. And that's Wade Taylor, who mm. is as hot as anyone in the sport recently. He's had six 20 point games in his last eight games. He's averaging about 21 points per game over that stretch. He's shooting the ball efficiently. He's running the show as their main ball handler at the top. They're a team that's clicking right now. And they had a very weird year last year where they had a weird middle, and then remember, they went on the run in the SEC tournament all the way to the final, bolstered their bubble resume, still didn't get in, and then they went to the NIT final. 
Buzz Williams is still there as their head coach. And I just think the way that they've been playing now for about a two plus month period in a very good conference to go 15 and three in the SEC, that is no joke. They had a terrible non-con, but I value what you're doing lately. And because of how they're playing lately, I think they have to be considered as better than, you know, a projected six seed right now. To me, I struggle with the SEC as a whole. I have been trying to figure them out for a while this season. I was on Tennessee for a while. I really liked them. Like you mentioned earlier, the Zakai Ziegler injury um, really hurts them as far as overall tournament projections. We both have Tennessee as an overrated team. Hard to figure out where to put Alabama right now. For all the reasons we talked about last yeah. week, you want them to be a national title favorite. You just aren't sure how they're going to handle the bright lights, frankly. You don't know how that's going to look for them. And they haven't looked good since that scandal started to come into light, right? I mean, think about their Correct. game since then. They almost lost to South Carolina that night. I know Brandon Miller was terrific, but in that first game back, that's a bad game to almost lose to South Carolina. I think they squeaked by Arkansas, and then they lose to Texas A&M. And that's a game where they didn't really seem to put up much of a fight from the get-go. It was all Aggies, so. And then Kentucky's been playing really good basketball. I don't necessarily buy them yet, and that's okay. I think that's okay to be a team that, like, they, they might be good, and they can prove it to me now in the SEC tournament. If they do go out and maybe win the SEC tournament, then I might be in on Kentucky. But to me, the SEC is that tournament field where I'm looking down the down the list of teams into that 6 through 10 range, whether it is – I know Texas A&M is technically the two-seed in the SEC, although I'm with you that they are very underrated – I look at a Vanderbilt playing really good basketball as of late. Yeah, they are. I, I still I, – I don't count out the must bus, even though it has not been an outstanding season for Arkansas. To me, the SEC is the one where I don't know what underdog I would pick to win that conference tournament, but I'm probably going to pick one of the underdogs. And so it's hard for me to really get a – I know I'm going to be wrong. I'm probably going to pick one of the SEC teams to lose early in the tournament, and I'm probably going to be wrong about it. But – I just haven't been able to, as a conference, invest in them this season because they have just had so many clear and obvious holes as a conference, and then the bottom of their conference is a very big drop-off. They're, they're a conference that you go down to to the likes of LSU, who went 2-16 and 16 in league this year. Ole Miss were not a good team. South Carolina and Georgia were pretty weak. Now, credit goes to the likes of Arkansas and Mississippi State for kind of keeping them afloat in the middle. But generally, this has been, from my perspective, a pretty weak year of the SEC where even though you've gotten top teams, I just haven't really been able to buy into anyone. Am I am I accurate there? Is that, yeah, is that I think where you're, you're right. at with the SEC? And I'm usually a fan of the SEC. I think they're trending in the right direction as a basketball conference because of the NIL is a time period where if you have money and if you have an appealing climate and everything, you're going to get recruits. And because the SEC schools have a lot of football money, that sort of translates to basketball money and NIL money overall. And I think because you're putting so much stake in NIL to get football rewards, you're by proxy getting better at NIL and basketball as well. And they've got a good crop of coaches in the SEC too. Yes. I mean, Yep. Nadeau has been under the spotlight for different reasons recently, but just on the basketball court, he is probably one of the best up and coming coaches. Musselman, same thing. So I think Stackhouse at Vanderbilt yeah. is a really becoming a really good coach, I think. Yeah, he has. And there's been talks that he should have been fired going into this year, but I think they've stuck with him and, and it's proved mm -hmm. right. They're playing really good. You you hit on them earlier. Vandy is certainly playing some good basketball right now. So 
SEC is going to be interesting. I'm a little torn because Texas A&M, they're almost like properly rated to me, but when I'm talking about underrated teams, I'm talking about a team that I think could make a run in March. I I think they should be a six seed, but I would circle them as maybe a team that you could even feel comfortable putting into your final four if you want to take a risk. And you you have to do some of that type of stuff And when you're filling out your bracket. That's where I was at with Michigan State. Same same spot where probably properly seeded, but... I'd feel fine if they were honestly up to like a four line and I would not be all that surprised either. I've got one final underrated team for you, Tim, and it is currently a team that is on the outside of the field looking in, but a team that I'm not counting out again in March. It is the Villanova Wildcats. Nice. They are a team that are playing really good basketball. I know they lost at home to UConn on Saturday. Before that though, they had three awesome wins on the road at Xavier, beating Creighton at home, and then you go on the road to Seton Hall, who are not a bad team, but that's still one of the top 50-ish teams in the country in Seton Hall, based on most metrics, and you're going on the road and getting it done. Before that, they had a loss to Providence, but again, on the road. They've won their home games recently, outside of the loss to UConn, who by most metrics are a top 10 team even, I think that this Villanova team are dangerous. The re-addition of Justin Moore cannot be talked about enough. Justin Moore, the the senior guard, has come back in and just stabilized them. He's really been the guy that's just calmed everything down. I do worry without Jay Wright. I, I, I understand the job that Kyle Neptune has done this year. It hasn't been perfect. I don't think it's been awful either. But right now they're trending. And they're a team that I would not want to play in the Big East tournament. And every year something weird happens in the Big East tournament, yeah. right? It's always something bonkers going on in the garden. This year I'm banking on Villanova being that team that I, I know I talked about Marquette earlier as a group I really like. And I've got a couple underrated teams out of the Big East. I just think the Big East is, as a conference, underrated. But I like Villanova to make a push in that Big East tournament. They can challenge the top five teams of Providence, Creighton, Xavier, Marquette. Um, it, it's It's a team that... I like a lot about what they do and the metrics don't necessarily back me up. This is a feel thing here where they're not that high in Ken Palm. They're not that high in the net, the the efficiency numbers, not that pretty, but I like the Wildcats and the way they're playing right now. I think Justin Moore could be the difference. There are some parallels too to UNC from last year, where you talk about first year head coach taking over for a legend. And even you make case about Duke as well. Shire taking over for K took some time. Now you look up and they've righted the ship. They're getting better. Younger teams getting some more maturity under them. So in, in soccer, they call that the new manager bounce. They, they love calling the, it's it's the new manager bounce. And so okay. they, maybe it's the, the new head coach bounce. And so for whatever reason, sometimes that new voice can just maybe help teams out, especially in a time of year where these guys have heard J, Jay Wright's voice in that locker room. Maybe, maybe it's the new voice that does help them out a little bit. Yeah. And look, it's okay that it took Kyle Neptune some time, especially because they were dealing with injuries to Whitmore and more. And that was certainly a big part of the factor as well as to why they struggled out of the gate. But it was reasonable for us to expect that it would take some time. And then Villanova would probably figure things out later in the season. Mm-hmm. UNC did that last year and it was reasonable to expect that as well. So I don't know. It's weird because I think everyone is kind of circling Villanova as that team. So they're so underrated right now that it they might not actually be underrated. For sure. 
They're but a trendy pick. They're very trendy. And usually I try to stay away from those when I'm thinking about who's actually going to make some noise in these conference tournaments. If everyone's bedding you, if everyone's on you, that, that kind of hurts your chances in a weird way sometimes. But sometimes that's the team, and it's the obvious team. And I really view Vill- villanova Crane's going to be a great game if we get that, and they beat Georgetown because there's been a lot of history between those two schools playing high-scoring, close games, some blowouts even, but – it's always a good game between those two. And that, that has a lot on the line for both teams. Yep. I just, I, to me, they're the team in the big East that would, I know they're trendy. I know all that stuff that everybody's picking them now. And I know the numbers aren't necessarily there to back them up. They're that team that would instill fear for me. And if I'm in the other locker room, I do not want to play Villanova since they've been healthy. That, that to me is the X factor. They're the team that really across the country, I'm looking at all these conference tournaments. They were the one as far as that team that play kind of in the that first day of games, right? I'm trying to find one of those teams. I thought a lot about Nebraska in the Big Ten. Nebraska is a team that has scared me a couple of times this year and are playing a really fun brand of basketball. But to me, it's Villanova. They're the ones that instill fear for me the most as a group that can make a deep conference tournament run. And who knows? Maybe I don't know if they can make a tournament run. I don't know if they're even going to make the tournament right now. They're very much not in the tournament fields, but it's it's the time of year to believe. And I, I'm willing to believe in Villanova. Yeah. Well, before we get out of here, let's talk some mid-majors and any yes. other sort of final thoughts that we have going into this all-important championship weekend here, which I'm just so excited to to watch games all day for the next five or six days. But I wanted to shout out out of the group that has already clinched a bid, want to shout out the Charleston Cougars because for some reason they were considered maybe not an at-large team if they didn't win that game against UNC Wilmington in the final of the CAA championship. I thought they played great, and, and that was a fun game to watch. UNC Wilmington went on a big run in the second half. I think it was like yeah. 20 nothing run or something at one point to go from down to up, and they withstood the adversity, made some big plays down the stretch, but – Charleston won 31 games this year, 31 and three. And again, I'm becoming the guy that is just looking at the records and and maybe that's a bad narrative because I know there's more to, to it than just the records, but they've had some of the nation's longest winning streaks. They played UNC pretty tough on the road in the non-conference. Their other two losses came in conference to Hofstra at home and Drexel on the road by just one point. It's going to be fascinating to see how they are handled in the tournament. Are they an 11 seed, a 12, a 13? Because if you go 31 and three, that has to stand for something, right? And they were kind of in the at-large conversation already if they lost that game. And also, are they going to become that obvious upset team? Maybe it's a 12-5 matchup that everyone circles. And if you're not doing a ton of research and you're just looking at the bracket that has the records in parentheses and you see 31 and three going up against, you know, (laughs) Iowa state at whatever. And and they're close enough, you know, that it's going to be that obvious upset, which again, kind of like the Villanova discussion. I try to stay away from those, but I love this Charleston team. And I was happy to see they made the tournament, just took it out of the committee's hands. I can already hear my grandma giving me a call and asking me, Brian, who's this college of Charleston team that won 30 games? I can already, I can already, right. I know Why that conversation is going to happen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Shouldn't they be like a five seed, which I think is in, an interesting conversation for a different day. Um, they are definitely going to be a, a 12 seed to me. Cause I think it would be disrespectful to put them in one of those play in games, but if they're an 11 seed, that's probably where they'd have to go into one of those games. I, I would, pr- I think they're a comfortable 12. They'll be that trendy pick. They're a fun team. Um, 
to me, one of the other teams on that 12 line that I think are going to be super trendy that have already clinched it are Oral Roberts. Yes. Everyone knows about Oral Roberts now. They're going to be another really trendy 12. Just wanted to give them credit. Another fantastic year. I mean, Oral Roberts just kind of starting to build this mid-major reputation. Everyone kind of, I don't know about laughs at the name, but they're another 30-win team. They've got the nation's longest win streak right now. They've won 17 straight games, Tim. That's that's an impressive feat. And Max Abnis is one of the best mid-major players in the sport. Um, he's a little undersized, but 38% from three. He's a good player. But the final team that I, or the, the team I really wanted to take a look at right now is Furman, the Paladins. They're, they just clinched it recently in the SoCon. And, and they're an interesting team because they're a really good offense, but they don't do it in their, or in the, the typical way that you think about in mid-major offenses. To me, when I think of like high-powered mid-major offense, it's jacking a lot of threes, playing high tempo and they're a team that really they play at an average tempo, but they do it all inside. They shoot a decent amount of threes. They get a lot of points from three, but they're one of the elite teams finishing around the hoop. And I like that trait come March, even though they're not necessarily the biggest group. They've got some size. Their starting center is six foot nine. They finish at an elite level around the rim and they shoot a high volume of threes which I don't know why that's such an appealing combination to me, but it is because it's tough to guard in my brain. Like a team that can make threes, their three-point percentage as a team is 34%, pretty average, but by no means bad. They're going to take a lot of threes, but if you try to take away their three-point shot, they are clinical finishing around the rim, which is really fun. And I'm a, I'm, I watched Furman earlier this year take on Penn State in a five-point win for Penn State. That's a resume builder, by the way, for the Nittany Lions. <laughs> Furman, to me, is a, a team at the 14 line that could just cause a little bit of problems because of their new unique style of offense. I'm going to be very curious to see who they're matched up with in March and um, credit to them for, for going on a good run in the SOCON. They had to go to overtime against Western Carolina in a really fun game in the semis. I caught the end of that game. Fun tournament. That was a fun conference tournament to watch and Furman well-deserved conference champs at that 14 line. They're one that I'm definitely going to monitor. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, I think Oral Roberts, like you hit on off the top, they're, they're playing maybe better than they were last year when they made it all the way to the tournament and went on Absolutely. that big run. So they're they're certainly going to be trendy in a sense because people know of their name and the, the history there and Max A. Smith, who's been just as good as he's been last year. It's just it's tough to get him in the All-American conversation because they're not in the national spotlight as much, which is a shame. But yeah. I, I like that mindset of, picking a team that's pretty good from three and, and pretty good on the inside as well. The just stands out to me when, so, you know, no yeah. mid range around here. <laughs> it just stood out to me. A, when I watched them all the way back in the non-conference playing Penn state and the, the broadcast even talked about just how it's, it's a pretty unique style of offense that they run a lot of ball screens around. Sounds like perimeter. Alabama a little bit, how they're just trying bit. to mix the mid range. Yeah. A little bit where it's, they're just elite finishers around the rim even though they don't take that many shots inside. It's just a fun combination that I enjoyed watching them over the last week or so that I don't really know how good they are. It's not like the SoCon is a great, all that great conference. It's a good mid-major conference. But to me, that's the, I don't know, just kind of stood out to me as a fun team that I wanted to give some credit um, and lots more of those. I, I promise you people, wherever you I, fire up ESPN plus a lot over the next few <laughs> days, 
conference tournament championship season at the mid-major level is as good as it gets. You've got the Ivy League tournament coming up. Um, and the Big Sky, I talked about it a little, a little bit earlier, Tim. That has just been bonkers to watch. I love late-night hoops. I love West Coast hoops because yeah. I actually get a chance to watch those games. The Big Sky has been off its rocker recently, and I'm rooting for the nine seed, Northern Arizona, in the conference title game against Montana State. That game is going to be awesome. Yeah, that's the best, man. I just Even the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday that's kind of now wrapped up, if you're listening to this, of the conference tournament championship week, it's like not an overwhelming amount of games, and they're wow. all so meaningful because you're getting into semifinal and the finals for teams that all year their goal is make the NCAA tournament, and that's it. And it's all on the line in that one game. So if you get to watch some of those this weekend, just – give that uh, a full chance, right? I know a lot of the talk goes to the ACC and the SEC. And I mean, I enjoy watching all the games, but it's sort of weird watching like Notre Dame, Virginia Tech last night. I just couldn't pick that over, you know, Charleston going up against uh, UNC Wilmington because that just had way more on the line. I mean, Notre Dame, it was like maybe Mike Bray's last game and it ended up being, that's kind of interesting, but I don't know. I just those games don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, but it's, it's still fun to watch those at times because they kind of get the day started and then it builds to the big games later in the week. And in a lot of these smaller conference tournaments, the better seed gets to host, which means the crowds are electric. That's yeah. one of my favorite parts about the America East tournament. A, because I have not had to travel because Vermont has been the one seed, but getting to embrace the fans during conference tournament season to me is really fun. And, unfortunate to me that even though there are really good crowds and a lot of the power conference tournaments, it's not the same as playing at somebody's home gym. Yeah. Tim, I just want to wrap up with you. What's the one tournament you're, you can't wait to watch the Oof. top tournament that you, you're just going to be dialed in on this weekend. I mean, they're just all so wide open. I don't know. It's, it's wide <laughs> open season. Anyone can win any of these games. It's so. wide open. I, I'm going to just totally reverse course. And it's going to shock people. I think it's the big 12 actually, because all those games are going to be close and you've got a good mix of, all right, these teams are fighting for the top seeds. They're fighting for positioning at the top and you've got four or five teams that could win the league. And then you've got the bubble matchups that are going to start today and tomorrow. And depending on when you listen to this podcast, but you, you got Oklahoma state, you got West Virginia, even Texas tech could maybe go on a run. You could talk yourself into them. So probably the big 12 from a standpoint of, that's going to have a lot of close games like it has been throughout the regular season. I think that's the one I'm most excited about, but they're all going to be great. I'm with you. They're all going to be so good. If there's one conference final that I'm hoping for, it's an Arizona UCLA rematch. Love yes. to watch them again on a neutral site. But to me, it's the Big Ten just because of the bubble implications. I, I couldn't care less who wins that conference tournament unless it's Penn State. But I think it's <laughs> all the bubble implications in these first couple of days. There is no conference that have more teams in the bubble conversation right now. And I think that seasons will be decided over Wednesday, Thursday, and a little bit on Friday in the Big Ten. That's that's why I tune into that conference tournament this time of year and really makes me excited for it. Tim, this has been a fun show. Glad this to be back has. on with you. It's been a I'm fun I'm just one. excited. Now I'm ready to just sit down on the couch and watch some games all day. This has fired me up. It's like I got a pep talk from you as a coach pregame, getting ready for the actual game. Now I'm ready to run through a brick wall, and by that I mean just get some chips and sit down on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone, enjoy your next couple of days of college basketball. You know Tim and I will. And please, if you enjoy the show, drop us a, a rating, a review. I, I hear that helps us, right, Tim?
That's what they say. I don't know. Five stars are good. Apparently they're better than one star. So if you're, you know, if you have some time, five star would help. (laughs) Wouldn't hate it. Tim, thanks so much for jumping on and having a nice chat this week. We'll talk to you guys again soon. I think we're planning something for selection Sunday, probably next, right? Yeah, we got to do something for that, for sure. If things get crazy, maybe before then as well, but we will be in your feeds consistently throughout March, which is exciting. Make sure to follow us on social media as well. I know Tim and I will be dropping our basketball takes throughout conference tournament season. That does it for our show today. For Tim Leonard, I'm Brian McLaughlin. This has been Just College Hoops.